Welcome to the Ego Sumvia podcast with me, Father Andrew Ebo. And as always, I invite you to begin by joining with me in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, take away from me whatever keeps me from you. My Lord and my God, give to me whatever brings me to you. My Lord and my God, free me from myself, that I may give you all I am. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What do we think about when we pray the Rosary? That's my question for us in this podcast today, in this month of May, Mary's month, the month of the Rosary. What do we think about when we are praying the Rosary? The Rosary, as you may have experienced yourself, is a wonderfully meditative prayer. And like other forms of meditative prayer, it gives you a certain mental amplitude, a mental spaciousness, which can be filled with, well, what do we fill it with? I'm going to share with you some suggestions for that today. But you may have suggestions of your own, so please do get in touch to share those with me. But let's start first with a little history. According to the tradition of the Dominicans, who, as I'm sure you know, have an ancient and powerful devotion to the Rosary, the Rosary was given to St. Dominic by Our Lady in the year 1241 at Puy, which is an abbey in southwestern France, But in our own country, Catholics were using prayer beads even earlier. So, for example, Lady Godiva, who was a real person, by the way, and who died at about the time of the Norman Conquest in 1066, uh, Lady Godiva had prayer beads of precious stones. And English nuns and religious at around this time, or a little later, used to pray decades of Hail Marys, or Aves, as they then were, as part of their devotional life. But then gradually began the practice of attaching a verse of scripture to each prayer, and again really led by the Dominicans, and we have then the beginnings of the mysteries of the Rosary, which take shape in the 14th and 15th centuries, very much as we know them today, uh, with the exception, of course, of the luminous mysteries, which were added by Pope St. John Paul II. And then, eventually in the 16th century, the rosary having already been prayed for hundreds of years by priests and religious and lay people, becomes, we might say, officially part of the life of the church with a papal bull by uh, Pope Pius V in 1569. And now the reason I mention that bull is because in it, Pius V usefully Uh, distinguishes the two types of prayer in the rosary. There is vocal prayer, what we are saying, and there is mental prayer, what we are meditating on. And our meditation, suggests Pius V, is guided by the mysteries. Mysteries which concern, as he says, tota vita domini nostri Jesu Christi, the entire life of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the mysteries I want to think about today, the mysteries as a way of thinking about that 
entire life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to think about all of them. We haven't got time. But just to begin at the beginning with the joyful mysteries. And then to share with you a little of how I pray these mysteries. And maybe that will resonate with you and even help your own prayer practice, always under the protection and guidance of Our Lady herself. And again, this is not in any way exhaustive. It is just, really just a couple of points that we might reflect or ponder or meditate on as we pray. So, the joyful mysteries. The title itself is important, is it not? Mary's joy is so important for us to imitate Mary who says, My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. People, alas, don't always associate religion with joy, and I think we need to prove them wrong. So perhaps an imitation of Mary's joy in the Lord, joy in her Son, should be one of the keynotes for our prayer. The first mystery is the Annunciation. The angel Gabriel from heaven comes to Our Lady. It is such a vivid scene. But can I place myself within it? Can I make Mary's part in that scene my own in some small way? Can I imitate Mary's yes to God? So I remember her words of service. I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. And I ask myself, am I putting myself entirely at the Lord's disposal? Am I his servant? Am I handing myself over to him? Then the second mystery, the visitation. And often it strikes me that the keynote here is charity. Mary's visits of charity. And I admire Mary's charitable intent in this action of visiting someone, of checking they're okay, and of sharing the joy of the Lord with them. And it is, of course, a family reunion, the visitation, and very often then I pray this mystery for my own family. And while we're on that topic, I think it is often helpful to make an offering of each decade, each mystery to a specific person or persons in need. Because we all know someone or some people who could do with being prayed for. Then the third mystery, the nativity, the great gift of the Lord to the world. Well, where do we start with this? We might think of the newness of the nativity, the newness of this, the excitement of it, the wonder. So a checklist again for myself. Am I aware, truly aware, of the gift and how great it is? Are that newness and the excitement and the wonder part of my life of faith? Or am I becoming tired and jaded and stale? And often again, so thinking of particular intentions, I might pray this mystery for the people I serve and for the grace to make new for them this good news. The grace to be able to say to them, as the angels say, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And pray, too, that they may be able to enter into the wonder of the Nativity in their lives. Okay, so the fourth mystery. The presentation of our Lord in the temple. Mary and Joseph 
bring the infant Jesus to the temple, and he is greeted by the priest Simeon, who sings the Nunc Dimittis, Now, Lord, thou lettest thy servant depart in peace. And often I try to remind myself of what it is he sees. What Simeon sees in the child, he sees a light to enlighten the Gentiles and give glory to Israel, your people. The light comes into the world, the light that darkness cannot overcome. So I give God thanks for that light, but I also think of those in need of that light. And often in this mystery I might pray for those who are suffering or struggling, those who have asked for my prayers, that they may be illuminated and guided by this light. And then finally, the fifth mystery, the finding of our Lord after three days in the temple. Usually I try to pray every day a decade of the rosary for our priests, not least because in my own experience as a priest, we can only do what we do because the people of God pray for us. So I join in those prayers myself. And in the case of the joyful mysteries, it is usually this decade, the finding of our Lord in the temple. Why this decade? Well, it's because of those words that Jesus says to Mary and Joseph to explain why he is there in the temple. If you remember, he says, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I must be in my father's house. And if then you think about our own places of worship, our churches, and where the most holy place is in them, the Holy of Holies, it is, of course, the tabernacle, where Jesus himself resides day and night in the Blessed Sacrament. That tabernacle in our churches is, you might say, the descendant of the original tabernacle in the temple in Jerusalem, but it's also, in a way, the completion or perfection of that original tabernacle in the temple, the Holy of Holies. So this scene of Jesus coming to stay in the temple represents, in a way, the return of the Lord to his house, the Blessed Sacrament coming to the tabernacle, the true sacrament taking possession of the house of the Lord. And so thinking about the Blessed Sacrament and the Tabernacle leads us naturally to give thanks for the sacrament, for that great gift, but also to give thanks for the gift of the priesthood, and for our priests who make it possible for Jesus to take his place among us in the Tabernacle today. And that brings us then to the end of those mysteries, the joyful mysteries, so just as I say a very few thoughts of what we might meditate on as we pray. But one final thought for you. Every now and then, people admit to me that they get distracted when they pray the rosary and their thoughts wander off. Or they may pray their rosary last thing at night, and then they feel guilty because they fall asleep in the middle of the prayers and they don't complete them. Well, I would really encourage people not to feel guilty about this. I mean, what could be better than falling asleep in the arms of Mary? 
it is a beautiful and a holy way to end the day and I'm sure it leads to more peaceful sleep. And if you do, as I do, and get distracted from time to time whilst praying the rosary during the day, don't get annoyed or vexed with yourself. Just gently bring your thoughts back to the life of Christ, the whole life of Christ, the life of the Gospels, the life of Our Lady. The devil, we know, would like to distract you from that, to be sure, but he would like it even more. He would like it much more if you got so annoyed with yourself for being distracted that you stopped praying altogether or gave up. So just nudge yourself back to the mysteries and keep persevering. And if you are already praying the rosary regularly, I hope these reflections may help you a little. And if you're not praying the rosary as often as you would like, well, maybe this month of May, Mary's month, is the time to start. Start with the joyful mysteries, and as you say the prayers, try to really ponder her and enter into those episodes from the life of our Lord and his mother, and ask yourself how his life might be lived in yours today. Our Lady of the Rosary, pray for us. And now, for the Gospel from this sixth Sunday of Easter, and my homily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I shall ask the Father, and he will give you another Advocate, to be with you forever, that Spirit of Truth, whom the world can never receive, since it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, because he is with you, he is in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come back to you. In a short time the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live and you will live. On that day you will understand that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Anyone who receives my commandments and keeps them will be one who loves me. And anybody who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I shall love him and show myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord Three Sundays ago we heard the story of the road to Emmaus, of Jesus meeting his disciples and speaking with them as they walk and talk of the scriptures. You might remember then that the disciples then rush back to Jerusalem and explain to the other disciples what has happened. And after they have done this, Jesus appears once again to all of them. He speaks again of his presence in the scriptures. He tells the disciples that they will be witnesses to him. And then he asks them to do something else. He asks them to wait. He says, and now I am sending down to you what the Father has promised. Stay in the city then until you are clothed with the power from on high. 
We are now in that waiting time, waiting for Christ to send down what the Father has promised. And it is this same promise that Jesus speaks of in our Gospel today. I shall ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, Spiritum Veritatis, as the Latin has it. So how do we make use of this waiting time, waiting for the descent of the Holy Spirit? You know, Pope Benedict once said that the Holy Spirit was in some ways the neglected person of the Blessed Trinity. And he was referring, I think, to the fact that sometimes people have a closer relationship with the first and second persons of the Trinity, with God the Father and with Jesus Christ the Son, than they do with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And there are reasons for that, good and bad, but perhaps now is a time to check the balance of this relationship for us. Saint Irenaeus, wonderful writer of the early church, describes Jesus and the Holy Spirit as the two hands of the Father, which is a beautiful way to visualize their relationship and how they act out the Father's will, but also to visualize the importance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the two hands of the Father. But many of us are not naturally ambidextrous, we tend to favour one hand over the other, so perhaps now, in this waiting time, it's a good time to make sure that we are not, in fact, neglecting the Holy Spirit. So I am just briefly going to suggest two aspects of the Holy Spirit for us to reflect on, in particular two aspects of the action of the Holy Spirit, and then a practical suggestion for deepening our relationship with the Holy Spirit at this time. So then, two aspects of the action of the Holy Spirit, and the first of these is the descent of the Holy Spirit. So the descent of the Holy Spirit is really a continual feature of the life of the Church. It is there, of course, in the Annunciation when Mary is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit for the Nativity of Jesus Christ. It is there at Pentecost, of course, for the Nativity of the Church. And it's also there every time the priest says Mass. So, in the Second Eucharistic Prayer, for example, the priest asks God the Father to make holy therefore these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sending down the Spirit. This is a daily event in the life of the Church, and perhaps it should be a daily and a continual event in our own lives, praying and inviting the Holy Spirit to come down upon us. And then the second aspect of the action of the Holy Spirit that I want briefly to touch on is accompaniment. In today's Gospel, uh, Jesus says he will ask the Father to send an advocate to us. Now, the original Greek word is 
paracleton, sometimes translated as paraclete, which is really two words in one. So para means beside, just as in our English word parallel, and claton comes from the Greek word for speaking or calling. So the paraclete is the one who speaks at our side, the one who speaks beside us. Jesus promises us one who will be at our side. Perhaps again now is the time to remind ourselves of that promise and of the accompaniment that the job, if you like, of the Holy Spirit is to be at our side and to inspire us not from some vast distance away, but intimately close, within touching distance, at our elbow, at our ear, if you like, in total disregard, I'm happy to say, of social distancing. So to pray for that accompaniment and to give thanks for the closeness of that accompaniment of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. And then finally, as I mentioned, one practical suggestion for deepening our relationship with the Holy Spirit in this time of waiting, and that is to pray a novena to the Holy Spirit. Uh, the novena of the Holy Spirit, the nine days prayer for the Holy Spirit, is the first and most important of all novenas because, very simply, it was the first ever novena that was ever celebrated. The nine days of prayer led by Mary and the apostles in the upper room as they waited for the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So let's join them. Let's follow their example Begin a novena for the Holy Spirit this Friday coming, so that will be the Friday after the day of the Ascension, Friday the 22nd of May. Uh, if you uh, Google, you can find a copy of the Pentecost novena online, but I will also post a copy on the UEA Chaplaincy Facebook page, so do find it there. And let's pray together with Mary and the disciples for the Holy Spirit to descend upon us and to walk beside us, giving us strength to witness to Jesus Christ and to be his witnesses in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, for the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen. So as we come now to the end of this podcast, thank you so much for being with me. As always, please do get in touch with any comments or questions you have, any suggestions for things we ought to cover. You can reach me on my Diatist of East Anglia email address, which is andrew.ebern at rcdea.org.uk. And that email address is also there on the Egosumvia Podbean page. Do get in touch and I'll upload another episode next Sunday and look forward to joining you then. So let's end, as always, by praying together the prayer of our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.